We drank Shiner out of Shiner at their own event. That's a good event. They need to just have a Lucy machine for drunk guys like me. That is like pure propaganda from big chocolate milk. Wes is a responsible adult. Travis is an idiot. Everybody knows Marty Smith. They don't know Marty Smith, they don't know ESPN. We're like the MJ Scotty Pippen of, of Can Jam. Don't worry about accolades, go chase the ring. I don't think wheat toast exists at Waffle House, Wesley. It does, I ate some this weekend. I have a bachelorette party all next week at my house in Charlotte. You're not responsible for buying the like decorations of that, are you? Howdy, y'all. Welcome to the Marty Smith Podcast. It is, I don't know what today is. It's September Monday. September 12th. Monday. Monday, September 12th. Uh, I am doing my very best to keep it between the navigational beacons. I have a crazy week ahead. I had a crazy week this past week. Um, I was in Nashville, Tennessee, Music City, USA for SEC Nation, Marty McGee. We had a blast out there. Uh, it was a wild, wild week of college football. Saw a lot of upsets, saw a lot of hurt feelings. Uh, had some coaches let go, guys that I really admire. Get into that in a minute. But um, Bubba Wallace wins the NASCAR race. Uh, took the lead with 70 laps to go. Outran the boss man, Denny Hamlin, one of the greatest to ever do it, to win his second career race and the first one uh, in the sunshine. Bubba's other career win came in a rain-shortened event, and now he goes to victory lane at Kansas. The 45 car sweeps that racetrack in 2022. Kurt Busch drove that car to victory lane in a Jordan 3-themed race car back in the spring, and Bubba goes to victory lane on Sunday over there at Kansas. And um, I'm so proud of him. I'm so happy for him that he won that, that race uh, on a lot of levels. I've spent a lot of time with him, and that includes very recently discussing the weight that he carries and discussing uh, what it is like to – feel and know that you have the ability and it's just not getting done and to constantly be on alert to make sure that the way that you compete validates your position in the sport. Um, you, don't, you can get to the Cup Series uh, on a whim. You can't stay in the Cup Series on a whim. You got to be damn good to stay there. And he has been there for a long time. Now, of course, driving for Michael Jordan and Denny Hamlin. And I'm just so happy for him that he went to victory lane and has the opportunity to hold his head up really high. And all of those people who are so critical, who don't believe that he belongs in the sport, who feels like, uh, who feel like, uh, you know, he shouldn't be there. Uh, they can go shut the hell up. Well, and and and, and he, he he silenced them he, after he got out of his car. He he did the silence gesture because you know he's not shying away from you know his feelings. And you could see when he got out of that car that he just let it he let it out. And you know he could have done the Zalatoris if he wanted to. Well, yes, it's look look. Validation is a, 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 an interesting thing because I. Like Bubba Wallace doesn't need validation from inside 2311 Racing. 
I have seen the way that that team and that organization not only supports him, but they fully believe in him. But he carries this self-imposed, uber-intense desire to validate that belief while also carrying this uber-intense desire to tell all of those people who don't believe he deserves it to shut the hell up. Just sit down on the couch, grab your bag of chips, and watch. And what he did was he went out to Kansas Speedway, and he outran. He took the lap from Alex Bowman with 70 laps to go and held off Denny Hamlin to win the race. And that includes a pit cycle in that victory. So, it like, like I, who the hell – what are they going to say now? Oh, he's driving Kurt Busch's car. Oh, he's driving the number 45. It's not even his car. Oh, he won in Kansas. That's not even a real racing state. If you're saying those things, you, you, you genuinely don't understand how the sport of NASCAR works. And it's so hard to win. There are guys who have, like, like, like Hamlin, like Kyle Busch, like Kurt, like Kevin Harvick, who have won so many times, Chase Elliott, they win so often that when guys don't win a lot, we go, well, what are they doing there? It's like Eric Jones at Darlington. It's really, really, really damn hard to put it all together for 400 miles and to execute and to win. And we look at NASCAR, if you don't really know the inner workings of the sport as an individual sport, it is anything but. It is the consummate team sport. Think about this, too. You mentioned Eric Jones. The first two races in the playoffs, neither, none of the playoff drivers have won a race. That's how hard it is. Right. Even in this season when it's had so much parity, you know, if you couldn't get a win this year, you're going to be wondering what the hell happened. 18 different drivers have now won in the NASCAR Cup Series in 2022. This new car has created this playing field that is obviously extremely level and opens opportunity to a lot of people. How long do you think it'll be that way? Well, the teams are really smart. As I said last week in Sunday Money, the, the engineers and the crew chiefs and the people trying to design this race car into its next iteration are very smart. And the people at NASCAR are really smart, but they have got to start working together because safety is so important. But these teams, as they get bodies of work with a new piece like this, they find new ways to circumvent rules. They find new ways to, like even the smallest fraction of, of increments of time add up so much overtime during the course of a race and during the course of a season. And so I'm just thrilled for Bubba. I'm thrilled for Michael. I'm thrilled for Denny. I love what Michael had to say after the race. Michael Jordan is the ultimate competitor. I said recently, I was on the Paul Feinbaum show uh, at, at, in Nashville last weekend. They're, like I think of three athletes during my lifetime that are just stone-cold killers. Michael Jordan is one, Tiger Woods is one, and Kobe Bryant is one. 
Michael Jordan wants to win. Michael Jordan's entire reason for competing is to win. It ain't for, like, the joy of the game. And mm, Michael I, loves... I would, take that, I would even take that further, Marty. It's not just to win, it's to beat your ass. Because that's what he wants to take the satisfaction out of, too. And if he has to motivate himself or manufacture a chip on his shoulder, he'll do that, too. And, and, you know, to your point, Tiger Woods said that to me once. I asked him in an interview I did with him, why were you so dominant for so long? And he said, I just want to beat you. And I said, Tiger, it can't be that simple. Come on, man. He goes, Marty, you're not listening. I didn't say I wanted to win. I said I wanted to beat you. And that's the way that Michael is wired, too. And he's not just a, like – an owner in name he's at these races he's involved he, i think some people thought oh mj is going to be this like owner just kind of to do it like no mm -hmm. he is he is there in the grind with these guys and women in the shop and everything he's there at the races well look he he, he has very high expectations that they're successful it is extremely difficult to win in nascar and so this is a huge, huge, huge win for that racing organization and for Bubba and for, like, I'm just so happy for him that he, like, I, 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 like I, I, they can't say now. All those people who want to play all these different reasons and all these different excuses, they can't say now. And... That makes me thrilled for him as a friend of his and as somebody who has watched him make his way on this path. And so, uh, look, man, it's, a, it's an unbelievably interesting and unique NASCAR playoff. Kevin Harvick had another really difficult weekend at Kansas. He's going to have to win Bristol on Saturday night in order to transfer into the next round of the NASCAR playoff this thing's wide open I don't know I don't know who's going to emerge I have no idea at this moment I mean the race on Sunday was crazy you had so many penalties on the pits you know I think people were just feeling the pressure and you, you know you mentioned Harvick needs to win at Bristol Kyle Busch is not gonna right now would you know be eliminated it's gonna be a fun race at Bristol there's a huge, speaking of Kyle Busch, big announcement coming up on Tuesday. He put on his social media that uh, he will announce his future, future destination, future racing home, future racing plans on Tuesday. All of the speculation says Richard Childress Racing, which, I mean, if it, it, you know, for the entire time that Kyle Busch has been in the Cup Series, people have kind of said there's been this narrative like he's the closest thing to Dale behind the wheel. He's the closest thing to mm. Dale Earnhardt that we've seen with his God-given talent, with the unbridled aggression and, and win-at-all-costs attitude that he brings to the, 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 the sport. And it would be apropos that he went to Richard Childress Racing. It would be Amazing, because anybody that knows the history of the sport and knows Hold My Watch, it's, I mean, it, it would be wild if Kyle Busch is racing for Richard Childress. That, again, is the expectation from 
so many great journalists who live in that garage, Bob Pachris and Jeff Gluck and all those guys who do such an awesome job covering the sport, guys I used to see every single weekend of my life. Um, so we'll know for sure here uh, in 24 hours or so, uh, 36 hours, what Kyle Busch's future destination is in the Cup Series. But if it is Childress, which that's the expectation, uh, man, good, good for both of those guys. You know, it's, 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 it was a major blow to Richard Childress Racing that Tyler Reddick is leaving there and going to 2311 Racing. Uh, to, to join that race team that Michael Jordan owns. Uh, and I wonder what this means for that. I wonder what it means. Okay, if Kyle Busch is coming in the door at Childress, might they uh, let, let Reddit go early? Who knows? I don't know any of that right now. But huge announcement coming with one of the marquee winningest drivers of all time. Sport's wild right now, man. How, I, do, I just, you, how do you evaluate – these power shifts going on. And I mentioned that because there are so many going on in sports in general right now, but NASCAR has its own and I don't want to compare it one-to-one -to, -one to live uh, golf, but there is kind of a, a lot of shuffling going on towards untraditional methods of competing in the sport. And I think that in and of itself is somewhat comparable to, to live. Um, well, it's definitely an interesting moment in the sport. Um, that, that, that being a marquee driving talent is still so invaluable. Uh, it can lift an organization. A great race driver can lift an organization. Now, that great race driver is also beholden to the talent that is around him or her. It's a team experience. You can be Jimmy Johnson, and you can be a guy that wins high percentages of races on an annual basis. But if you're driving a subpar piece of equipment or you have a pit crew that lets you down on pit road when you're Coming through the field, driving through the field, you have a poor pit stop that puts you way back in the field again. You're so much more susceptible to the turbulence and to wrecking the car. Because they are racing at the Cup Series level, they are racing their guts out for 26th. And so, yes, a, dry, a marquee driver can, can lift an organization on a lot of levels. That marquee driver might be able to get sponsorship that the organization couldn't already. Now, that's one reason why Kyle Busch is leaving Joe Gibbs Racing. They couldn't get the sponsorship they needed for him to stay in the 18. But this race car, too, it's also kind of changed the game a little bit because of the way – I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a car where NASCAR purposefully kind of gives everybody the same equipment. And that levels the playing field in and of itself because the Hendrick Motorsports and Joe Gibbs of the world that have always had a bit of an advantage in manufacturing parts and pieces that are better than the, than the opposition, it's, I mean, that is, no, it's gone. And so 
it, there is just so much going on. Now, obviously, the difference in, in the live scenario is, I mean, a live scenario in NASCAR would be like, it'd be a it'd be a Dale Jr. met with some overseas company and tried to start their own. Well, I don't even that mean be, that he that directive of a comparison. I just mean untraditional powers in in the sense of MJ Pitbull. You know that that's not playing by the same terms that NASCAR has traditionally over the last. Well, it yes and no. I mean, we've seen Fifty Cent come in. We've seen Doctor J come in. We've seen. Uh, there have been other outside in like folks before who took interest in the sport. Now, I think the biggest difference between MJ and Pitbull and all of those other people who've tried is they love NASCAR racing. Mm -hmm. Pitbull loves the sport. Michael Jordan loves the sport and has his whole life. His dad, James, took – him and Larry took Michael and Larry to Darlington and to Talladega and to Charlotte as kids because, because he loved NASCAR. And he introduced his sons to NASCAR. Michael's been a race fan his whole life. He owned superbike teams before Denny called him up one day from the golf course, sent him a text and was like, hey, maybe we should do a NASCAR team. And the next thing you know, Denny's on the phone with – Curtis Polk and and Michael, and they're putting together 2311. I mean, Denny's the realist in the group. Denny's the guy that goes, look, this is a lot harder. We don't just go will ourselves to victory in NASCAR. There are so many countless myriad variables involved in success in that sport. And so going all the way back to where we started, I don't even know how long I've been rambling on this, but Bubba said something after that victory to the media that was so telling to me. That being, he used the word relief. And it's, it's like, that, that, when I was at SEC Media Days talking to Kirby Smart about winning the national title in Athens, Georgia, he did, said the same thing. It's almost relief over elation. It's that monkey off your back. It's that Steve Young finally got it. Like, it's, it's relief over elation. And in a lot of ways, to me, that's kind of sad. But I get it. Look at who he learned from. It's like the, the expectation. Guy that, the guy that hates losing more than he likes winning. No doubt. I mean, if you talk to Nick Saban about that, he remembers every single intricate detail about the losses. Well, it's easy when you only have like six losses. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't lose a whole lot. <laughs> can we but, just can we just go to that game now? I mean, I, I guess we can shift gears here and, and and move along from from NASCAR. But I mean, I again, I'm just super happy for Bubba. I'm really happy for him because, in my opinion. There, 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 there is – if you have criticism about what happened, if you want to try to diminish that victory in any way, that's a you problem. And yep. I'm just really happy for him. Check something in your heart. Levels. Check something out in there. So, to Travis's point, let's shift gears to the Bama-Texas game. Um, I got asked by Jason Fitz and Gary Streisky – on their 
college football show. Uh, McGee and I did a thing with those guys on Friday afternoon. And the question was simply, does Texas have any way to beat Alabama? And, I, I mean, there was this long, uncomfortable pause, and McGee was kind of looking at me, and I was looking at him, and I just went, no. And I couldn't have been more wrong. Texas played their asses off. Now, Alabama was very undisciplined. They had a ton of penalties. Should have had and, more. And self-imposed uh, Uncharacteristic setbacks. was the number one word trending with Alabama on Saturday. And undisciplined. They looked like trash. I mean, even even the, the, you know, the, the most seasoned, most experienced players, like Will Anderson had a late hit. And mm-hmm. you just you're kind of just looking at it, going like, "What's going on right now?" As somebody who's been around Alabama, maybe as much or more than anybody, I understand the inner workings of that group. And and having talked to them ahead of the weekend, we're doing this thing on Marty and McGee now. That back during media days, I, I looked at McGee and we were at dinner and we were having some cocktails and we're like, "How do we kind of take this show?" to another level and I thought we're we're really good at like making fun of each other making fun of stuff and having a great time but we're also national reporters we should call these coaches during the week and and ask them what are the most important aspects of this team and this week that you have to do to win and so we started doing that for two games a week and one of which was Texas Alabama and Saban of course, said this, and I think this is so true. Play to the standard, not the scoreboard. And when you're a program like Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia, Clemson, like I mean, even Notre Dame, I remember Brian Kelly, Brian Kelly saying that to me during the college football playoff a couple years ago. Play to the standard, not the scoreboard. And Alabama's standard is – Tip of that tip of that spear is self-discipline. And that's not what we saw from Alabama. And they somehow still managed to escape with victory. It's a lot harder when you're not in that neutral site for these big games as Alabama typically is. Never. And so much of college football is transitioning to these home-and-home games in these Power 5 matchups, which is great. I think the neutral site, like the Chick-fil-A kickoff that Georgia played in against Oregon, has its place in the game. But how cool is it to see Bama come to Austin and struggle and see that home crowd actually factor in? It's a different ball Will game. Will Anderson said after the game, it's the craziest atmosphere he's ever experienced during his time at Alabama. And it's look, I want Texas to be really good. It's great for college football when that brand is one of the elite, you know, elite competitive groups. And Steve Sarkeesian, I said this all morning on Saturday. He is as brilliant an offensive tactician at creating mismatches at the line of scrimmage that there is. He is amazing at it. If you saw his tenure at the University of Alabama as the offensive coordinator, when you are able to devise ways to get the Heisman Trophy winner, Devontae Smith, wide open in the national – I mean, 
wide open. God bless Tough Borland. Great, great player for Travis Rockhold's The Ohio State University Buckeye. He's still chasing him. But, like, I mean, Steve Sarkeesian was able to, to, to get Devontae Smith running wide open free against Tough Borland, and God bless Tough. He's a, uh, Travis, wasn't he an all – was he an All-American? It wasn't he was all big ten, but he was right? All big ten, like he was a good player. He just they they schemed it perfectly, and mm-hmm. tough, they did. Still, and, tough still and, chasing and, and him. That is, and, and look, and there's another variable here that I, I think a lot of people who are really aware of college football have stated, but it bears repeating. That being Gary Patterson coming over, you know, he was the former head coach of the TCU Horn Frogs. Now he is. I don't know what his title is at he's Texas. Special a, assistant to the yeah, head coach. Yeah, he's a special he's just assistant an extra branch. He spent the last three months preparing for that football game and trying to find ways to make Bryce Young's life hell. And they did a damn good job of it. It's not uh, unlike Georgia bringing Will Muschamp into the fold. That was a very underrated addition to Georgia last season. That helped the dogs out a ton. And Patterson, if he sticks around and Sark gets some some players, some dudes, I think they might be ready, more ready for the SEC than I thought. So I have a little like beef's the wrong word, but I'll use this with this Gary Patterson thing. And they kept bringing Gary Patterson's name up there, and he's a great defensive mind, and obviously he did a lot to help that team out. But there is a defensive coordinator. Can we give like his name did not get mentioned at all on Saturday. Like yeah. he's the one out I mean, there calling the plays and the players. Yeah, I mean and the players. I mean, look, it's one thing to have a great scheme, but you got to go beat your man at the line of scrimmage. And the Texas front seven did a phenomenal. They job. They did it for three quarters. If Quinn yep. Ewers isn't hurt, I think Texas wins that game. And listen, I that's mean, that's how the game that's how the game goes though. And you can't that doesn't count. Nah. You know, but that's. They were that close. Bama fans don't want to go there. Bama fans don't want to go there with that one. Trust me. I, I look. I agree. It had a tremendous impact on the the potency, or I want to say potential potency of Texas offense. But Hudson Card played his ass off on one leg. He played his ass he off, but played, the, yeah, he played great. I don't know if we're gonna call it great. Oh God, you're such a pain in my ass. He, he was he could manage it, but they the offense just lost that explosiveness yeah. that they had with Quinn and that you know Ewers Ewers has an elite arm. He is a great talent. Yeah, and he can throw. He threw a couple passes before he got hurt. That if you watch the replay, they are like Patrick Mahomes sidearm changing his arm angle, brilliant throws. And I know he like he became an internet sensation in high school because of that. He, it's obvious that this is something that he's worked on for a long time. But he, he is a, a tremendous talent. And he's going to be a Heisman contender someday. Now, I know he's going to miss, what did they say, four to six I, weeks, Travis? Yeah. I think four to six is the He's going to miss a lot table. of time. Tough week for quarterbacks in Texas. But, he, you know, here's the thing, and Wes and I were saying this before you got on, Marty. You know, they can blame the injury and they can blame the penalties. But if you want to beat Alabama, I don't care who you are, you can't kick field goals and you can't drop interceptions. Yeah. And you, ha- you have to make every play because they're so great that they're – you just ha- – you can't give them any little room And you got to gotta make tackles. I mean, they had oh, a Ryan free Watts. and clear shot Jesus. at Bryce Young on a brilliantly devised blitz. 
and Bryce Young pulled the wizardry. That play was just unreal. That was a that was a ball play. Unreal. That was a separating play. That listen, everybody makes me. I laugh so hard when people like I, I actually heard somebody try to tell me this week. I can't remember who it was. Oh, Bryce Young's not that good. He just had, he just has so much talent around him. Bull. Look, um, if you want to beat Bama, you have to beat them. Like you have to actually beat them. Uh, there's a James Franco meme from a Netflix movie called The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. You've probably seen it. But he's standing with a noose around his neck, and he says, first time, huh? And that's what I had to share with all these Texas fans complaining about the refs. You're not going to get those calls against Bama. Bama had 15 penalties, and like Travis said, they could have had more. But you have to make the plays, that almost safety in the end zone. I mean, was he down? Was his shin down? Everyone's looking at all these angles. It's like the Zapruder I mean, film. It, it, I don't know. Was he down? I don't it know. Sure. Wasn't it, it wasn't going to be intentional grounding because the ball was tipped. But it's those little moments that Bama is just that much better than you. I actually thought, first of all, I thought the officials did – like they – I've never seen a situation like that before <laughs> where they kind of reversed – Everything. A, 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 couple, a couple of mistakes. Yeah. And took the time to, like, to really study it. I don't – I mean, look, I, I don't think Bryce Young was down. I don't. Now, I, I think ultimately they made the right call. I do too. I think that they took their time. They studied it. I think Bryce Young fell on top of the defender and threw the football and it bounced directly off another defender's head which negates grounding. Yep. Brilliant move by Bryce. Just Brilliant play. Just toss it at his head. Yep. Brilliant, brilliant, very savvy play. And I, I just – I commend the officiating staff for taking the time. I also thought that Joel Klatt on Fox Network did a phenomenal job of explain, I mean, immediately explaining, because the original call from the referee was, was uh, bonkers. It was, it was a passer. personal foul roughing the passer with targeting was what was said. Well, that changes the entire dynamic of the play. Because, again, kudos to Joel. Joel explained that, the personal foul stands no matter what because there's a targeting on top of it. But then, again, the referees come back and say, we misspoke. And, man, hey, shout out to all of them, man, because they owned it. They said, we were wrong. We misspoke. And this is the right way to rectify what happened. Whether they're right or wrong, I think Bryce was down. I mean, if you go back and look, part of his shin's down, his elbow's down. I mean, that, that's by the rule book down. But I'm, but I'm not going to go back, and, yeah, go back and look at it. That's not what I saw at all. I mean, go back, go back and watch it. He has pull it up right now the length, the length of talking, his Wesley. calf, his shin, is down. That is by the rule book down. Part of his elbow, his forearm is down. That's down. But my point is, whether he was down or not, the refs missed the call. Texas also missed the field goal. Texas also 
had to kick too many field goals, and you can't beat Bama by kicking field goals. I mean, that's my ultimate point. You're going to you're going to miss calls, especially against Bama. Georgia fans in the 2017 national championship can tell you about Tyler Simmons and still will, even though Georgia won the Natty. Doesn't matter. You got to beat them. You actually have to step up and beat them. But Texas looked a lot closer to being able to compete than I thought. Was it a fluke? Did they rise to the occasion? I don't know. But I was very impressed, even in the loss. You know the worst part about this is Bama gets the win and Saban gets to go to practice on Sunday or Monday or whenever and rip his team and get to be the coach that we all know. And now this Bama team, we're not going to see this Bama-Texas team again this year. All right, I'm watching this video right now. I am too. I'm trying to I get to an angle that shows me. I, I don't think his shin. elbow was down. I'm, now i got to watch the shin. This is, this is a great audio. For, I don't yeah. care. They'll no, get over it. They probably did well, the they've same probably, thing. They've watched it. I can't see it from this angle. I don't see an I'm elbow. Which elbow, one. Wes? It must have been the off elbow. Yeah, I mean. The one not holding the football? Yep. His left elbow never is down. I don't down. see it touch the ground. No, his left elbow is never down. But I it's not just that. about the elbow. Hand, hand. If, if your forearm touches, because like, I've seen them review plays like that before. If your forearm's down, you're down. I don't think it's – I'm trying to find the knee. I don't see – I'm, I'm going to have to find it. I don't think his well, forearm is ever down. Well, what we are is a microcosm of the country, right? We're, <laughs> we, we are we right now yeah. a microcosm of the country. I think ultimately I, I could not be more impressed with Texas. Yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, the they, fans – I would have loved to be in Austin that day. They were up at 7 a.m. Eastern time ready to go. It's fun. It's fun to be competitive when you're a big brand like that. And that's why, Wes, to your point, uh, I said this last week. I think all neutral site games, and I, I, think, I know you said the Chick-fil-A has its place. I think they all need to go. All neutral site games, get away. I don't want to see you home and homes. Let's, yeah, that's I, the, the I love on campus. Yeah. The, I, mean, it, it's, I mean, that is what makes college football That's the way great. the it's CFP's a bit, going, right? It's a little bit um, – sanitized or something when you're when you're at those neutral site games i don't know that i would ever in a million years consider the chick-fil-a kickoff game when the georgia bulldogs are in it a neutral site game because 90 percent of the stadium is red but the point is valid i love on-campus experience it is what makes college football and separates college football from everything else. They started they started with that Bama Clemson game because they added the extra game in that 2009 season and normally these games they take years to schedule but Gary Stoken went to Saban and said, "Hey man, we got an extra game. Y'all want to come play at the Dome?" The rest was history, man. And, and Bama took that model by the horns, played everywhere from Dallas to wherever they went. And now now I'm looking forward to the Mormons taking on the Catholics in Sin City next month. One of the on-campus games that was unbelievable was Appalachian State making their way to College Station, Texas, uh, to take on Jimbo Fisher, Haynes King, and the Aggies. And this, of course, coming off of what was an unbelievable game against the University of North Carolina at home in Boone. Uh, in week one, where they 
scored 40 points in the fourth quarter, ultimately fall by two points in an offensive explosion. And then they go down to College Station and just dominate. I mean, they the, the Appalachian State Mountaineers beat the sixth-ranked team in the country at home in one of the most beneficial home atmospheres that there is in sport. And as the game continued, you could feel it. That crowd got really nervous. And ultimately, Sean Clark and the App State Mountaineers pull one of the bigger upsets. I mean, it's a big upset on upset on paper. But How do you, you know not App know State, that App State is ready to come and kick your teeth in? I mean, it's not the biggest. <laughs> it's not the biggest upset that App State's ever had. Let's just put it that way. I'm happy. I mean, I don't know, man. I don't know that I would agree with that. I think I their their win against Michigan is I know bigger. it was huge and it was certainly it was like Michigan the, the Appalachian the State the victory over Michigan I think was less expected certainly, um, but I mean it, it, like this was wild man. Did you see the video Texas of all the A&M. students in Boone? Texas, oh yeah, I know. I'm actually going up there this week. I'm doing a feature for College Game Day up there. Uh, should I get in the car and drive there for Saturday? I'm thinking about it. You should. It's not far. I mean, it's five and a half hours. Um, Here's the stat, but, though, that tells you everything about the game Appalachian State possessed the ball for 41 minutes. Yeah. Yep. And, and 18 for uh, 18 and a half for Texas A&M. <laughs> they look, Texas A&M looked really tentative. And you can see it again. It's that thing where, it's that thing where, you have an expectation. The expectation doesn't happen. You got a plan until you get hit in the mouth. Mm-hmm. And the next thing you know, time's ticking. You're not getting the football back. Your defense is gassed. Chase Bryce, Cam Peoples. I mean, they are pl- like playing. Like Chase Bryce has been in the biggest games. Yep. I mean, Chase Bryce. Chase Bryce has won football Helped games. Clemson out a ton, and no one remembers before. it. And so. I'm just happy for Coach Clark. Uh, you know, I, I've done a lot of app games on the sidelines. I've spent a lot of time. I've gotten to know him really well. And it's interesting. He said before, like, App State is, a, is like Alabama when it comes to the expectation from the, the fan base. Hmm. The Appalachian State fan base expects for you to win 10 games a year and compete for championships. And there's a lot of pressure that comes with that. And for him to be able to go down there and get this victory is, I know, a huge, huge moment for him. And, again, I can't wait to chat with him here midweek when I head up to Boone to do yeah. this feature. But A&M panic launched three new NIL collectives over the weekend because of this <laughs> loss. It's just <laughs> devastating. It's just an interesting thing in college football, right? Isn't this such an, a unique moment when Texas A&M is, is sort of the epicenter of NIL and the impact of NIL. And then little old G5 App State shows up with, you know, a, a quarterback who was at Clemson and then Duke. And, you know, now he's, now he's at Appalachian State in his 45th year in college football. <laughs> Last week, you, or the week before, you were talking about Utah and their identity with Kyle Whittingham. And that's what you get with App State is – you have a team that year after year they might lose players that graduate or whatever, but you, you're you going to get this App State team, especially under Sean Clark, 
that's just who you're going to get. And it it's not that surprising anymore when they do this. That's just who they are. Well, it, it it's real it's really not. It's not surprising. It it's I don't know. It It's it, the Sun Belt. I, I, They're and they had a obviously a phenomenal week with Marshall going into mm. Notre Dame and beating the Irish and Georgia Southern going into Lincoln, Nebraska. Get after that ass. Beating beating the Huskers. Did you uh, see ultimately. uh do you see Cole Swindell, the video posted him watching at his bus, the Georgia I Southern didn't. game? I didn't. I, I bet Cole lost his mind. Oh, yeah. And, you know, now Scott Frost is gone from Nebraska. They decided to uh, – the Huskers decided to go ahead and make a change now, which is quite an interesting it is. decision when you look at the buyout well, scenario. Well, you got all that TV money coming, so it's just a drop in the pan, I guess. Still money. It's just uh, – look, man, I – I thought, I know I wasn't alone, but I thought Scott Frost was going to be this perfect hire to bring Nebraska uh, Nebraska back to championship glory. He's a favorite son. He's a native son. He's a national champion as a quarterback there. Uh, Was so amazingly successful at the University of Central Florida as the head coach there. Goes to Nebraska. And it just didn't work. Sometimes it just doesn't work. And this is one of those times. I mean, I really like him. I have climbed through the Grand Canyon with the man. And I loved what, like I asked him, what are we doing this for? Like, why are we climbing through the Grand Canyon? He said, I will never ask anything of my players that I won't do myself. And I thought that was so cool. But. They did not perform on the field. They lost. I mean, I, they lost so many one-score games while he was at Nebraska. The statistics are jaw-dropping. I mean, if you think about one, two, three, four, five plays go a different way for them. They outscored. I, mean, I think I saw a graphic earlier in the summer where they outscored either their conference opponents or their full schedule last year. If you added up all the scores but still finished with the record they had. How in the well, hell does that a, happen? It's a performance-based business, man. And you, you, it's big-time college football. And to your point, all of this money's about to – this influx of dollars is coming. USC and UCLA are joining the league. And it's just not – it just didn't work. And Scott Frost will take his $15 million and – he will go become find a, another job. Become a, become an assistant for Bama, an analyst, sorry, an analyst. I mean, that's, that, of course, is the joke. <laughs> but, I, look, all, I, all I'll say is, like, we've seen it before. I mean, Bill Belichick didn't work at the Jets or wherever, you know, it, it, it was that he coached first. Um, like, guys get fired. It happens. And it just, this was just one of those things that we all, maybe not everybody, I had, I had a big box that was checked when Scott Frost got hired at Nebraska because he had so much momentum. He was the hottest guy, the, the hottest hire. UCF goes 12-0 and under his stead. And we just think, all right, man, they have a quarterback already and Adrian – uh, Mar- what was his name? Martinez. Adrian Martinez. 
They got a guy who can spin it around, who can run, who can do RPO. They're going to kill it. And it just didn't work. Yeah. The question is, who do they get now? I was reading a piece by Bruce Feldman. He had some names out there, and a lot of them made sense because they're Big Ten coaches, Big 12 coaches, so they're in that footprint. Well, Trev, but it's, it's Trev Nebraska's is going to have interesting a, job. a decision to make on, on what he wants to do, and so many times you see programs overcorrect. We had an offensive guy that didn't work. Let's go get a defensive guy. But I, I really don't know what the answer is. It's very tough. It's almost tough to get a guy to go. Like That's why Scott seemed like a good fit because he was the Nebraska man. But if you don't understand how that program works, it's hard to recruit out there. It's tough to get it off the ground. Well, it'll be, again, uh, with, with the crazy change in college athletics and the landscape, we, do, we still don't even know where we're going to net out on a lot of the NIL rules and – portal rules and all those things the rules are there are no rules well but that's the thing though with those two things if nebraska can i think the one of the good reasons about firing a coach now is they can start this hiring process and so with that portal man if you hit the portal correctly they can get this thing back going in the right direction faster than what it was i mean you talk about the portal man marshall had 24 24 transfer portal additions on that team that beat Notre Dame on Saturday. They had guys from Power 5 schools who jumped in the portal and maybe they were guys that other schools didn't want. Maybe they saw something in Coach Huff, who I think is an absolute stud. He was uh, I mean, he came up in the process. Another one of these former Nick Saban assistants that are doing great things. <laughs> and they go into South Bend, Indiana, and win. And win. Just, and they did, that wasn't no fluke either. No, that was way. not. That was a whooping. They, uh, so, it's great, interesting. great day for the Sun Belt Conference. And I, the Sun Belt Conference. That, that, to me, like wasn't fun belt. That was strap up and hit you in the mouth. The Sun Belt is here to punish you with their belt. It's ugly. Like, I, I said it on Saturday, if I'm the ACC, forget trying to get, like, the, a big program to come join your conference. Call up App State and call up Coastal Carolina and give them an offer because those are two football programs that play football, and they may not be as marquee as Notre Dame and some other things, but they're in your footprint, they make sense, and they win. Like, teams are paying them million dollars to show up and lose to them. Well, I'm I'm – Happy for those programs, obviously, uh, Texas A&M, Notre Dame. There's a lot of questions that need answered. And we know Nebraska, there's questions that need answered, including who their next head football coach is going to be over there in Lincoln. I have a question for you, Marty. Uh, how's your stomach doing after uh, hot chicken? this was coming. <laughs> I thought we might try to get out of here before we broach this. No, no, so, no, no, no. What happened? Well – all right, so we went to Nashville, Tennessee, Music City, USA for Marty McGee, SEC Nation, to see the Vanderbilt Commodores and the Wake Forest, Wake Forest Demon Deacons uh, play a football game. And when you go to Nashville, one of the staples, along with country music, is Nashville hot chicken. So we went over to Hattie B's. Well, on Saturday, 
Hattie B's delivered its four rungs of tenders that were mild, medium, hot, and shut the cluck up. <laughs> so we decided to have a wing tolerance contest. I saw McGee had the, he was TV. very proud of the shut the cluck up. That, that word plays right up his alley. Yeah, he was very proud. Very, very, very proud. And so we all tried the various levels of hell. And hot was really, really hot. I mean, hot, I tried hot on Friday when we went over to shoot a little piece at Hattie B's. And hot made my lips tingle, I mean, for hours after we were done with the shoot. It just, it wouldn't kind of go away. I, it, 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 it was a sensation that, that clung on. And here's the thing well, with the tenders is it's hotter than like, if you had it in a sandwich, you'd have bread, a, a condiment, some lettuce or something to help cool it off when you're eating tenders. I mean, you're just straight fire. They kept telling us, just don't let it touch your lips. <laughs> like, don't you let the hot sauce touch your lips. Well, how, how do you eat a tender? without it touching your lips and so i look over at jordan rogers one time his entire lips are coated with that powder and i was like oh man he's in for it you broke the one and rule. i took a i took a humongous hack out of it i mean I, it was funny i saw everybody like giving mcgee a lot of credit because he seemed completely immune to the heat uh, I did not see the bite that he took, but I did see him, like, pinch off. He might have taken a big old hack for all I know. I was worried about my own bite. <laughs> but it hurt like hell going in, and it was yeah, it'll, ten times worse coming it'll out. It'll get you when you when you meet it again. Uh, I, had, I had every intention of uh, going over on Saturday and watching uh, the show live. And What happened, you know, Travis? Seeing Marty Furt. I texted Marty, I think, at like 8.40, 9 o'clock-ish, and I was severely hungover, and mm. there was no there was no moving. There was no going. I got on. Randall Lambert? I think he went to one uh, of those camp I actually parties, did not, one of those high school. No, I did not. I had a friend. It was her birthday, and so we had a party bus, and then we went to FGL house afterwards, and uh, I ordered That's Uber Eats. Roll, huh? Yeah, and so I, uh, yeah, there was no you moving. Get that joke? You guys get yeah. that joke? I got it. The FGL house. Listen, That's FGL house is a it's one, it's an underrated bar to go to. I, I'm a big fan of that. I've I been think there. They, I went there uh, CMAs one year. I uh, I went to FGL house afterwards because Jimmy Johnson was a presenter at the CMAs, and we flew over there and. Jimmy did his presentation, and he's buddies with the Midland guys. And the Midland guys were either playing there after the show or they went there to party or whatever. I don't know. But we went over there to meet those guys, and they had on those awesome suits uh, that, you know, have all the rhinestones on them. And they got really cool hats. They got – they were – they had – you know how, like, everybody's wearing those trendy hats now? Like, everybody. Yeah, the Cowboys mm -hmm. team doctor. Has on those flat brim. What do you even call those hats? It's not a fedora, is it? It's like a no. uh, Larry Fleet. Where is it? 
Everybody like wears a, it. Zach Brown has flat, one now. I think He's just like a flat, from the a, flat brim, a flat brim cowboy hat. Is that? I guess. Yeah. I mean, it's there everywhere. And some people have a feather hanging out of it. You know, Some people have another hat hanging off the side of it. It's just like another but smaller Midland hat. Midland had those before they were cool. Midland, Midland must have started that trend. They had those hats early on. Now you see them everywhere. I mean, I mean, like Kim Kardashian's wearing one to the Starbucks. It's just called a, a wide brim. It's just called a wide brim hat. Did y'all see the Morgan Wallen Larry Fleet duet of "That's Where I Find God"? Did you see this? You shared it. Unbelievable. You shared it on your Instagram. It was like what? It was like going to church. It was obviously that's a very spiritual song. Anyway, we've had Larry on to discuss that song, but hearing those two harmonize that song, I mean, it gave me chills in a very spiritual manner. I, I was so floored. It was beautiful, and I wrote on social media, that, like how grateful I am and what an awesome influence it is in my life that those guys share their talent with us all like all the singers i love when artists get together and you know do songs together We're seeing it more know, and more it used to be I, I, very I central to what country music was all about guys would team up collaborate now it makes perfect sense to do it in the in the age that we live in combine your fan bases and retweet everybody but it, it's kind of the backbone of country music in a way you think about the highway men think about Willie and Waylon, I mean, they would always team up. Those guys were attached at the hip. It's, it's definitely becoming more prevalent now. Um, it, it's, it's, I love to see it, too. There's a lot of reasons why it doesn't happen with singles very often. I'm not going to get into that, but it has to do with, like, the release cycle of artist singles and labels and Writers. there's a whole lot going on there. If you think about... I mean, there's a, a, a phenomenal song on Dangerous where Morgan Wallen uh, does a duet with Chris Stapleton. And the harmonies in that and the delivery of that are absolutely remarkable. This Larry Fleet-Morgan collaboration is absolutely remarkable. If you've heard Luke Combs' new album, he does a duet with Miranda Lambert that mm -hmm. is remarkable so good we're seeing these guys I mean I don't know if you guys ever heard the duet that Justin Moore did with Miranda I think it was two albums ago if you don't know it you need to go you need to go immediately hold on just a second man her voice just pairs so well with anybody um well, it's so not only is it the delivery that they both have in the song, it's called Old Habits. And the delivery is so beautiful because their voices mesh so well. Yeah, it's 10 years ago now. It's from the Off the Beaten Path record. I couldn't remember which record it was. But it's called Old Habits, and the writing is unbelievable. I say goodnight to an empty space beside me. The only reply is the beat of my heart. Mm. I wake up, make two black cups of coffee. The routine being with you taught me left its mark. Mm. 
these old habits die hard. It's it's such a beautiful song. And anyway, going going back to to Wes's point a minute ago, y'all know how I feel about the Highwaymen. They're, I mean, some of the most important heroes and influences in my life. And the reason I love country music is my, the, my, my dad and my mom loved them, loved the Judds, and. You, you know, you, you think about having that foursome, that group of men all together on one track and the way it's written, uh, we could get into an, we we could, could do an entire we could, show on yeah, we could that one song. That. But uh, speaking of, uh, I do also appreciate when artists get together like Speaking that. of collabs, man, uh, Matt Jones, Kentucky Sports Radio, tweeted this morning, I don't know if he broke the story or not, uh, but there will be a Kentucky Rising benefit concert for flood relief on October 11th at Rupp Arena. Awesome. Chris Stapleton, Dwight Yoakam, Tyler and Tyler Childers. Chris Stapleton, Woo. he goes back. Whenever there is something that happens, he goes back without one ounce of fanfare so did news Tyler. public and that's I love that and the only way it gets out is cuz people see them out in the the neighborhood clean up and they take a photo and post on Facebook but I love how they just they just go about it and they just do it because that's who they are and that's their community that's their people uh well I, uh, certainly those two as well I'm just it's humbling uh, how talented they are and the way that they write, the way that they deliver what's inside of them and how relatable it is to so many millions of people who just want to feel belonging, who just want to feel like somebody understands them. And they, all those guys really do that for me. So really, really, really fun time uh, this past week. Crazy week ahead. And on that I, note. Hold on, Marty. Uh, I, I, got go one, I got one update here for the show. Our uh, I don't know if you want to call them fantasy teams or whatever we did to pick our college football dream teams. I got a score update. Um, Somebody's keeping score. He created a, there's, a scoring system. There's a Twitter user named Cornwit, C-O-R-N-W-H-I-T-T. His photo is of uh, – looks like an elderly man. It looks like the photo's probably been taken about 15 to – 150 years ago. I don't know who this person is. But Corn Witt is keeping track, and he's given us a scoring system. We get 25 points per head coach win. You get 25 points per home stadium win. You subtract the number of points that your defense allows, and you add the number of points that your offense has scored. I'm not going to break down every single data point here, but Travis is leading... With a hundred, this is after this. Hold on, this is after week one. This is right now. Eight? He sent it. Okay. He sent it Saturday night. Okay, I didn't see. You it. are leading, Travis, one hundred and fifty. Marty has one hundred twenty-two, and I only have ninety-four because Notre Dame lost its road game and lost at home to Marshall. Well, I would probably be leading if South Carolina was scoring some points. Dogs' defense is helping you out a ton, though. Yeah, they're pretty good. They do all right. They're okay. All right, that's all I got. Just, just running away with it, boys. Um, I think I have a I I think I have a new um, 
draft for us to do maybe next week. I think we're going to draft uh, college football helmets, four of them each. Look, corn wit can only handle so much tabulating for us, well, Travis. One, this one doesn't need points. This is just you're gonna you're gonna make oh you're you're gonna shut corn wit <laughs> if you're not careful. Corn wit is my sports and information. Shut. Uh, the I hope club. he's not a Nebraska uh, fan. Corn wit. Um. Well, I'm gonna go uh, do some studying, boys. I gotta go get on an airplane to Lexington, Kentucky. So y'all have a great day. All right. Best wishes. Appreciate our law enforcement officials working hard to keep us safe all over the country. Thank you, Fire and Rescue, for your heroism. So grateful for the United States military, man. We are free, and we're certainly reminded of that this week. The 21st anniversary of September 11, 2001, when our country and our lives changed forever. And so grateful for the military, their sacrifice to make sure that we stay safe and stay free. Really appreciate you guys. Thank you to our teachers. Thank you so much for helping us raise up these youngins. Thank you, boys, for taking the time to hang out with me this morning. I know it was early, but I got to go do some SEC stuff. Just means more. Find a plane. God bless. SBC, 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 SBC. All right. Um, Marty, don't go. Let me stop this.